I'm on the team here. Um, every once in a while, I get the chance to teach. Um, if you're coming to hear Trevor because he's an incredible teacher and our lead pastor, you have to come back next week or the week after. But he and his family, uh, with a bunch of other families from the church, they're out at family camp at Mount Hermon having a great time. So if you're kind of here like, dude, where are, all, like, where are all the kids at? Man, they're all at family camp right now or going to family camp immediately after this. Uh, and so that's where they are. Um, but, you know, if you've been at this church for 30 years or, man, you've just been with us now for 30 minutes or so, we're simply a church with a vision of a Los Angeles in which every single person has experienced the life-changing power of the gospel. We think the gospel is for everybody, and we want to see everybody's life transformed by it. And so there's three things we try and do really, want, do really well. Um, one is, man, we just want to make Jesus the center of everything that we do. We want to know Jesus better, and we think that as we keep Jesus our center, and as we keep Jesus our aim, we'll actually begin to grow in our faith. We'll trust him more. We'll put more of our allegiance in him. And we think that as we do that, as we, as we know him, and as we grow in faith, he actually begins to shape us. He begins to change us. We become to look less like the person that we were and more like Christ. And so we become the kinds of people that go out into the world to serve. Serving better in our homes, in our apartments. Serving better in the workplace and in our church. Serving better in our neighborhoods and with our extended families. And so right now we're in the beginning of a, a first Timothy series. You know, as we've kind of been coming up to this first Timothy series, we did about four or five weeks on the Holy Spirit. If you're new to the church and you missed that series, I would recommend uh, go to risenchurch.com. Get caught up on those Holy Spirit sermons. They were incredible. And as we kind of come to the end of that Holy Spirit series, we come to 1 Timothy, in which Paul is writing to one of his spirit-filled protégés that is leading a spirit-filled church. And then as we kind of come to the, the end of 1 Timothy, we'll do a, a kickback all the way to Genesis and begin at the beginning. But in our current book, as Paul is writing to his protégé, as Paul is writing to Timothy, he makes it really clear what the purpose of his letter is. He says this. He says, Timothy, I want you to watch your life and your doctrine closely. In other words, Timothy, I want you to live right and I want you to think right. And so this week, Paul is going to kind of be continuing that, that argument or that the thesis with Timothy. And so we'll be in 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. So if you've got a smart device or your paperback Bible, will be 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. And as we read through this, uh, we're going to see three things. We're going to see a sense that uh, Paul carries this sense that his placement to serve is from Christ. Secondly, Paul is going to recognize the immense patience of Christ towards him and towards everybody that comes to believe. And finally, Paul is going to note the pointlessness and the destruction of life away from Christ. And so Paul's placement from Christ 
the patience of Christ and the pointlessness of life away from Christ. Now, I want to start with this, just a brief kind of history of my dad. Um, If you've been here for any amount of time, I'll tell some brief stories about my folks. I just think my folks are just the most incredible folks in the world. And and I had the honor of of growing up with with two great parents. Um, But my dad uh, actually served in the Marine Corps. Uh, I I wasn't alive yet, but before I was born, my dad served in the Marine Corps. And so I'm really thankful for his service in the Marine Corps. And when he got to the Marine Corps, he was kind of of a stud all growing up. And just kind of, he just carried this sense of duty and wanted to serve his country. And so he served in the Marine Corps. And pretty early on when he got there, uh, the Marine Corps recognized, oh, you're one of these smart guys. You're one of these, like, you've, you've got a sharp mind and a sharp intellect. Man, we could really use you kind of as a law clerk. And so, you know, when you're, in the, when you're in the military, dude, you just serve wherever they put you. And so he did boot camp. He did some testing. They said, dude, you, you're, you're, your IQ is pretty high. Let's kind of get you serving in the law area of the Marine Corps. And so he served in Japan, and he served in North Carolina. And towards the end of his time, he, was, uh, he got asked to work for the office of the staff judge advocate. So he kind of, you know, climbed his way pretty high and was and was serving there and ended up getting offered a position to work there kind of indefinitely full-time. And thank God he didn't do that. He moved to Oklahoma instead and had us. Um, But one of the things I've learned from my dad as I've listened to his story serving in the military is that, man, when you serve in the military, you just gladly and thankfully serve wherever they put you. They've got a position for you. They put you there, and you just say, man, I'm just here to serve. When we get to 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul has the same kind of sense that he hasn't really chosen how or where to serve Christ, but Christ has posi- positioned him to serve in a very specific place. And so we're going to talk about the placement that comes from Christ. This is verse 12, and Paul is about to talk about what it looks like to serve Christ and and how he ended up in this place. And I love the very beginning of how he opens this up. He simply says, I thank God. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he's really done three things for me. One, he has given me strength. He's enabled me. He's given me a sense of dynamism. He's considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. In other words, I didn't choose to serve Christ. Christ appointed me to serve him. And watch this. uh, Verse 13, uh, Paul makes a case for why he definitely should not have been appointed by Christ. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer, I was once a persecutor, I was once a violent man. Watch this. I was shown mercy. God was good to me, even though my past was super messy. I was was doing all this because I was acting in ignorance. I was acting in unbelief. I hadn't come to faith in Christ yet, but watch this, verse 14. It says, the grace of of our Lord was poured out on me, not scarcely, but God poured his grace on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now, kind of moving back to the military, I feel like oftentimes when you get folks 
serving in the military, you get kind of two camps of folks. You got camps that are, man, these folks are just studs. They come from a lineage of people that serve in the military. They're already sharp. They're already trustworthy. They're already faithful. They're already the kind of person that you would say, man, they have a sense of duty and responsibility, and they want to serve their country. And then sometimes there are folks that are like, dude, I just, I don't know what to do with my life yet. I'm not super responsible yet. I'm not super fit yet. I, I kind of got to get my life together. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go serve the military and, and kind of get this thing sorted out. When we look at Paul, he's actually the, the latter camp. He doesn't come to serve Christ because he has it all together, because he's fit and he has a vision for his life. Instead, Paul says quite the opposite. He says, dude, my life was an absolute mess. I was so far from God. I was blaspheming. I was persecuting. I was a violent man, but man, God showed mercy to me. He took this person that didn't have it all figured out, that needed to be whipped into shape a little bit. And watch this. He showed mercy, giving him strength, making him into a trustworthy, faithful person, and then finding a spot for him, and then appointing him to service. You've probably had these friends that, man, they went into the military one way, and man, when they came out, they were a whole brand new person, fit dutiful, sharp, intelligent, a sense of responsibility. The person they came out as on the back end was improvement from the person they were on the front end. That's Paul's life. Paul recognizes that he was a bonehead, a bit of a doofus, but that God had been merciful and gracious. And when he did, it came with strength, trust, and placement. You know, this is one of the reasons why we pray and we worship and we read our Bibles. As I had a, this old pastor friend going out, and he said, man, when you pray and when you worship and you read your Bible, you get underneath the spout where the grace comes out. <laughs> kind of carried that with me over the years. It's one of the great things about faith disciplines is faith disciplines don't make us necessarily better people. But faith disciplines just get us under the spout where God's grace is coming out, that he might make us faithful, trustworthy people, that he might enable us for the task that we have and that we might receive an assignment and an appointment from him. These things get us in that space. We can become the kinds of people that say, man, I thank God that I used to be a doofus, but man, now I serve on the worship team. Man, I used to be a bonehead, but man, God has appointed me to serve in Risen Junior. Man, my life used to be a mess, but man, now I serve people that are coming to church for the first time on the hospitality team. As we lean into faith, we get to become these people that say, man, we have not earned the place that we serve, but by God's grace, he has appointed us to the place that we serve. And all of us have an appointment and an assignment and a place that God wants to place us. That's one of the first things that Paul carries. He carries this sense that his position to serve is from Christ and that everyone in the church has a place and a position to serve. 
That's the position that comes from Christ. The second thing is the patience of Christ. I love it. Paul says this. We're kind of picking up in verse 15. You know, remember, we're kind of talking about the kind of doctrine that Paul's really, uh, really concerned about, that Timothy have his doctrine right. And so he gives him a piece of doctrine right here. He says, here is a trustworthy saying. And not only is this saying trustworthy, this saying deserves full acceptance. Here it is. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I love this phrase because it has this, this Christ Jesus, this Messiah, this anointed one that Israel had been waiting on. It says that he came into the world. There's this hint of the incarnation of God into the world in the person of Christ. And he doesn't come just to gripe at people. He says he comes to, to save sinners. I love what Benod said towards the beginning of service. Man, Christ was the most loving person ever, and yet he had to speak about hell. He had to speak about judgment because he was here to save people. So this is the trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. This is what Christ came to do. He came into the world to save sinners. If you're here and you're a sinner, good news, Christ came to save you. And then Paul has this little tag at the end. Oh, and by the way, Timothy, uh, I'm the worst one of them. Of all the sinners that Christ came to save, I am the worst one. Have the worst history, the worst mess, the most violent past. Verse 16, but it's because of that. It's because of my messiness, because of my violence, because of just being just a, a horrible, awful person. For that very reason, I was shown mercy. I was so bad, I was the worst of them, but I was shown mercy, the worst of sinners, so that, watch this, so that Christ Jesus might show the world how great I actually am. So Christ Jesus might show the world how gifted and talented I actually am. No, it doesn't say any of that. It says, Christ showed patience that Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. The goodness and the glory and the mercy of Christ put on display, not because of who Paul was, but because of who Christ is. And this was gonna be an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Man, if Paul can be shown mercy, God can show me mercy. Man, if God can show some of that kind of past mercy, he can show me mercy. If God's patient with that kind of person, he can be patient with me. And then verse 17, Paul just erupts into this doxology. It's as if he can't contain it. Talking about how God has strengthened him, how he's enabled him, how he's abundantly poured grace on him, about how he's shown him mercy and he's appointed him to serve and he's shown him immense patience. Paul just erupts now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, oftentimes when we intellectually ascend and think to the goodness 
the patience and the glory of God, it ascends our soul to doxologies and eruptions of praise of how good God is. It reminds me of the, the parental journey. You know, I think of my own household. My parents wildly had three kids of their own. We were, uh, we were kids that loved to cause problems. If you're a parent, you're like, man, all my kids are good at causing problems. We had th- they had three kids. We, you know, we all caused problems. And when they came home, we deserved judgment. We deserved to be grounded, sent to our room, our video console taken away from us. Man, we deserved the worst of it, and sometimes we got it. Sometimes we didn't get to go to that sleepover. Sometimes we had to stop playing that video game. Sometimes, this is going to sound wild, sometimes we couldn't go outside and play. We had to stay inside. But sometimes they'd come home and they'd, they'd say, dude, you knew you weren't supposed to do that. Like, you're host. But I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to let you keep the controller. I'm going to let you still go to that, that sleepover. I'm going to let you still play outside. And, you know, the reason they showed us mercy is not because they looked at us and thought, but, dude, my kids are just so great. They're just so awesome. They're looking at us thinking, like, dude, this dude's a knucklehead. He just doesn't get it. My parents showed us mercy, not to to show us how cool we were as kids or how great we were as kids. My parents showed us mercy to show the kids how patient they were, how good they were, how merciful they could be. This is that Paul moment. Paul recognizes the mercy that is being shown to him is not because he's an eloquent speaker, not a gifted business person, not a great musician, not a phenomenal teacher, not great at greeting people. Paul recognizes he is not shown mercy for any reason that can be attributed to him. The only reason is because of the goodness of God. That God might put himself on display as patient and good and kind. And church, this is amazing news. Because when you look in the mirror, you never have to ask the question, Am I the kind of person that God would show mercy to? Am I successful enough at business that God might show me mercy? Am I talented enough at music that God might show me mercy? Do do I serve local partners enough that God might show me mercy? Instead, we get to look in the mirror and simply say, dude, I'm not that kind of person. But God is that kind of God that he would show me mercy because he's good and he's patient, which means all of us are eligible for the mercy of God. I had the chance this uh, past week to get coffee with kind of an, an old mentor of mine. And he's an older gentleman, works at a golf course now. He's probably like 60 or 70 years old. And we get coffee and he's a great time. And towards the end, I just asked him, um, hey, how can I pray for you? And he, he just smiled. And he said three things. He said, dude, Austin, honestly, life is really good right now. The second thing is I'm just kind of waiting for a shoe to drop because, you know, life is seasonal and it's really good at some point a shoe is going to drop. Um, and the third thing, and the third thing you pray for is, dude, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner. He said, man, I'm, I'm judgy. I'm not very patient. I, you know. I do a lot of things I just shouldn't do. But, man, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, and, but, but I know this. God still loves me, and he still forgives me. It's funny. We had that conversation this past week because I'd been kind of, you know, kind of preparing for this. 
And I just got, I just got to encourage him and say, dude, you're right. You are a knucklehead. You are a dirty, rotten sinner. But man, God wants to show you mercy because he's merciful, not because of anything that you've done. And I, and I love the fact that he's in his older age, very aware of how much of a sinner he is. And so this is kind of one of the questions that I've been asking myself. Man, when I, when I encounter God, when I come face to face with God, do I allow myself to see the depth of my sin and the great patience that Christ has had towards me? It is always a temptation for me that when I want to draw near to Christ, I want to hide my sin because I want to experience his presence. But it's actually in our becoming very self-aware of our sin that we're able to draw close to Christ. There is a sense of, you know, the more honest we get about the depth and the breadth of our sinfulness, actually the more eligible we become for holiness, to be made right, to be set apart. But the more we hide our stuff, the more God's like, dude, I already know it. Come close and let me show you mercy. So that's the patience of Christ towards sinners. And here's the third and final thing this morning. Um, life is pointless away from Christ. Paul's kind of wrapping up this section. And so he says this beginning in verse 18. He says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command, keeping with the prophecies once made about you. I love that, like, in this letter to a specific person, Paul is still referencing gifts that he communicates to the church at large. There's this idea to the church at large that, you know, one of the gifts of the Spirit is this prophetic prophecy. And here he says, man, Timothy, there have been some prophecies about you. Again, a Spirit-filled person leading a Spirit-filled church. He says, I give you this command, keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, watch this, you may fight the battle well. I love that faith is not a passive thing. I love that following Jesus is not a set-apart, holy huddle thing. But discipleship to Jesus, man, we are engaged in a fight. We are engaged in a battle. And you can find this all throughout the text. Don't have time to survey it now, but you can find it. Verse 19 that you might fight the battle well, watch this, holding on to faith, holding on to a good conscience, which some have rejected, and as they've rejected it, they have suffered shipwreck. Not detour, not they lost out on a small thing. It says, man, when they lost hold of faith and lost hold of their good conscience, they suffered absolute shipwreck. Verse 20, among them two of my friends whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Now, this reminds me a little bit as Paul talks about holding on to faith and holding on to a good conscience. It reminds me of life before the smartphone. Man, when you went on a road trip, you didn't have access to a smartphone that would be with you 24-7. You had to go to MapQuest. Some of you remember a time before MapQuest 
But for most of us, we remember a MapQuest. You go on the MapQuest, you type in where you're leaving from, where you're going to, and it doesn't give you alternative routes. It's not gonna update as you go. It's like, dude, this is the route, and you gotta take it. And so you had to, you had to print off these instructions because we didn't have smartphones you could like take a photo of it with. You had to print off the instructions. And man, when you went on that road trip, you had to make sure you held on to those instructions. You could not afford for them to get lost under the seats. You could not afford to them at a pit stop to accidentally get thrown away with your McDonald's wrappers. You could not afford for it to get sucked out the window. Because dude, if you lost those instructions, if you lost hold of them, you ended up in a strange town out of gas with your thumb up trying to look for help. I'm not speaking from personal experience. <laughs> if you don't hold fast to those directions, you get shipwrecked. You get stranded. You get completely out of sorts. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy. He's saying, dude, Timothy, you already know people that have not held on to faith. They've not held on to good instruction. They've not held on to a good conscience. And now their life is totally shipwrecked. shipwrecked. And so Timothy, hold on. Because here's the reality when just when it comes to life. If we don't hold fast to faith, if we don't hold fast to Christ, if we don't hold fast to a good conscience, man, we will shipwreck our marriages. If Christ is not front and center, we will shipwreck our families. If we are not keeping Jesus the center point of our life, we will shipwreck our finances, every area of our life at some point will become shipwrecked because we have to build our lives on the foundation of Christ. Him being the cornerstone, him being the anchor, him being the north star that we set our eyes to. This is what an old church father said. Church father's name was Ambrose. He said, to the person that holds on to the person that holds fast to faith. He says, the truth of the Lord actually surrounds him. It encompasses him so that he's not afraid of the terror of the night or of the thing that walks about in the darkness. Thus, for the person that holds fast, he may look upon the shipwrecks of others those that didn't hold fast to Christ, those that didn't keep their gaze on Jesus. He may look upon the shipwrecks of others while he himself, free from danger, he may behold others driven here and there on the sea of this world. So those who are born about by every wind of doctrine or philosophy or thinking, man, it shipwrecks them while he himself persevering on the ground on the cornerstone, on an immovable faith. In other words, keeping our doctrine proper, keeping our life proper, keeps us from shipwreck, keeps us from danger. Storms will come, yes. Wind and waves, they will come, yes. But the house doesn't fall. The ship doesn't get stranded among the rocks. And so are you 
Are you holding on? Are you fighting well? Are you keeping your eyes on Jesus? Because here's the reality this morning. If you are in Christ, you can avoid shipwreck. You cannot avoid trials. You cannot avoid tribulation. You cannot avoid hard seasons, but you can avoid shipwreck. And also this morning, if you are here and you are not in Christ, you may not see it now, but your life, your marriage, your family, your finances, they are headed for shipwreck. In other words, life is dangerous and pointless when it's away from Christ. And so kind of as we approach the table of communion this morning, we recognize this. And this thought to me is just always helpful. Every single week I have this thing where I just increasingly become the center of my world. Um, I, I increasingly become the person that like, oh, all of this actually is about and revolves around me. And so this thought's really helpful to me. That man, I am a, I'm just simply a creature. I am a creature created by God. And when we all gather here together, bad news for you guys, none of you are the center of this thing. But you all are creatures created by God. And the reality is we have lived our lives not in service to God. We have lived our lives oftentimes not in self-awareness of the depth and the breadth of our sin. For most of us, we have lived our lives on a crash course with shipwreck. But when we look at the person of Christ, we recognize, I mean, he is the one that actually came to be the greatest servant of all. He came to be the one to be patient with us to show the world not how great we are, but how patient he is. And he's become the one, he says, man, your life's in trouble. Your house is going to fall when the storm comes. Man, I'm going to provide you a cornerstone. I'm going to provide you a foundation. I'm going to provide you an anchor. And it's myself. So through God's design, Christ was obedient to God and displayed patience with us, even to the point of death on a cross, that the shipwreck that we deserve was put on him, that he might ultimately act as a lighthouse, as our captain, as our anchor to bring us to shore. And so by God's invitation, we can really be aware of the depth the breadth of our sin and the immense patience 